0: Are new. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: So what Paul is teaching us is that the way that God regenerates us, the way that he gives us new life, this divine nature that he puts within us that makes us new creatures is this. He joins us to Jesus Christ so that there exists within every Christian a special union between themselves and the Lord Jesus Christ.
2: They say that it's hard to live a Christian life. Well, they're wrong. It's impossible for any human being to live the Christian life. Living a Christian life only becomes possible once God brings us to life and Christ begins living through us. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are making our way through the second chapter of the book of Ephesians and learning about the power of God in salvation. Regeneration is quite a mystery, really. It happens in a moment, but not all of us who are regenerated can recall exactly what day it happened. We know that it did happen because our lives have been transformed by it. All things are new, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Regeneration is a completely transforming event that we are powerless to initiate. Let's get on with the study now. Here's Pastor Steve with a look at why we are so different after salvation.
1: I want to direct your attention once again to that great passage in Ephesians chapter 2. The passage which begins with those now famous words, but God. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one, May boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Now, anyone who has ever studied this passage, anyone who ever taught on these verses, understands the importance of those two little words, "But God," that open the passage before us. These words stand as a turning point. They also stand as a start. Contrast from Paul's description of what we used to be, what we all used to be like before Jesus saved us to what we are now because he has saved us. Once, Paul tells us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world. We followed Satan. Our lives were characterized by complete disobedience to God, complete disobedience to him. We were sons of disobedience. We lived in the lusts of our flesh and the desires of our minds and were by nature, Paul says, children of wrath. Why? Because that's what we deserved, judgment and wrath because of our sin. But God changed all of that. Because he chose to intervene in our lives. That's what Paul means when he says, but God. At one time, we were like this, dead in our sins, but God didn't leave us dead in our sins. He did something for us because he is rich in mercy and he's rich in love. And what did he do for us? Well, he gave us the only thing that a dead man needs. He gave us life. Verse 5, the beginning, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. Now, what Paul is teaching is what the Bible refers to as being born again. The big theological word is regeneration. It is the sovereign work of God whereby he implants his own life in us. This is why we turn to Christ to save us. This is why we repent of our sins. This is why we now have an interest in the things of God. This is why we, we now have an appetite for the Word of God, why we are convicted of our sins, why we love the Lord. All that, it's because God has placed within us His own life in the form of a new nature his nature, a divine nature, and it is that new nature that makes us new creatures in Christ. That's regeneration. Now, this is where we stopped last session, as I gave you really what I, what I think is just a, a snippet of information about this great doctrine, the doctrine of regeneration. And we went no further, and I did that on purpose. I did it for a reason, because what we are about to study concerning God's work of regenerating us, the spiritual life he imparts to us, is so deep and it's so profound, I didn't want to overload you. I didn't want to overwhelm you with so much biblical truth in one night that it would be difficult for you to absorb in one setting. And so we stopped there, but we continued to see what Paul has to say. But I want to remind you that in the big picture of all of this, in the big picture, is Paul making a point. He's arguing a point which the apostle often does. He's arguing for the point that our salvation is attributed only to the power of God. That's his point. He tells the Ephesians, as you know, back in chapter 1, verse 19, that he is praying for them, that they might have understanding, that they might know something of the power of God in their salvation something of the greatness of God's power in saving them. And now here in chapter 2, he is explaining to them how God, by his power, has saved them. See, having told us in chapter 1 that the only reason we're saved is because before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. But now here in chapter 2, the apostle explains that the only reason we now experience that salvation for which we were chosen It's because God has exerted his power by raising us from the dead and giving us spiritual life. And so, in his effort to explain how God's power is demonstrated in saving us, in the big picture, what Paul is doing is this. He is laying out three issues relating to man. In previous sessions, we've looked at the first issue, which is this, the depth of man's sin problem. We looked at verses 1 through 3 where Paul explains how dead we were, how evil we were, and we proved it by the way we walked, we began to look at the second issue, which is God's provision for man in light of his sin problem. And we continue looking at this as we turn our attention once again to verse 5. So let me read it again to you. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now I want you to notice that when Paul speaks of of the previously dead sinner being made alive, he doesn't simply say that God made us alive and stop there. But notice what he says. He says that God made us alive together with Christ. Now this phrase, together with Christ, it's vitally important in the apostles' thinking. As he explains this doctrine of of new life, That's, that's critical This expression and what it means, this truth, we call regeneration. And we know it's so important to Paul because he mentions it several times in these verses. This is not an isolated statement. Notice in verses 6 and 7. And raised us up, and I will emphasize where he says this again, raised us up with him. He didn't just raise us up, he raised us up with him, meaning with Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us, notice once again, in Christ Jesus. Now, why does Paul use this little phrase, actually it's a few different phrases that mean the same thing, with him or in Christ Jesus or together with him so often? Why does he speak of that when he's talking about the doctrine of giving us, the truth of giving us life? Because, note this, it is the key to understand what it means to be given spiritual life by God. So what Paul is teaching us is that the way that God regenerates us, the way that he gives us new life, this, this divine nature that he puts within us that makes us new creatures is this. He joins us to Jesus Christ. So that there exists within every Christian, a special union between themselves and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the truth about being joined together with Christ, this, this special union that we have with the Lord, is a teaching, quite frankly, that hasn't been given much attention by Bible-believing Christians, but it should. For the most part, it is neglected, Teaching, perhaps because many Christians fear it, since it sounds so very mystical, so very subjective, and somewhat mysterious. And and it is that, but it's clearly taught in Scripture. So what Bible teachers so often do is that they reduce this doctrine of our union with Christ to something that is totally objective truth and only objective truth, having no bearing upon our experience right now. Therefore, when the truth of our union with Christ is taught, it is taught as only something that pertains to what theologians would call our legal position in Christ. Something that legally is true of us, positionally is true of us, and we will experience in the future, but we experience none of it now. In other words, because they say we are joined to Christ and he, he was raised from the dead, our position in him is that we're raised from the dead too, and someday we will personally experience this resurrection also. And because Christ is exalted in heaven, that's our legal position too, because we're in him. And someday we will personally experience this exaltation too. And because Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father and our position is in him, someday we will personally experience this too. Now, I want to say all that's true. All of that is true. The Bible does teach our positional truth. In Christ. Christ is our head. He is our representative. We are legally positioned in Him. And since we are joined to Him, whatever He experiences now, that is our objective legal position too. And someday in the future will be our personal experience. All of that is true. But folks, while all of that is valid and is taught in the New Testament, This isn't what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 2. He's talking about a union with Christ that affects us right now. He's saying that being made alive with Jesus is a union that causes us to experience everything right now that Jesus is experiencing. This truth about being joined with Christ, it isn't unique to this passage in Ephesians chapter 2. It is taught throughout the New Testament. Let me show you. For example, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, perhaps the clearest statement about this mysterious, mystic, yet vital union. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Our Lord is talking about a a union there in which he is the source and, and the life that flows through us is his life. John 17, that great high priestly prayer of our Savior. He's praying to the Father in verses 22 and 23. He says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one. Just as we are one, union, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. Right here in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul speaks of this. Notice verses 22 and 23. And he, meaning the Father, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The head of the body is Christ. It is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is the head. We are the body. Union. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 28. When Paul is speaking about marriage, he says, I'm really referring to the union of Christ and his church. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Let me stop here. What he's saying is that when a man and a woman get married, they are one as far as God is concerned. There is a mystical, mysterious, vital union that takes place. They are one. So he says, verse 30, because we're members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And then two shall become one flesh. He says this mystery. So it is mysterious. This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. This union. Galatians 2.20, which is a favorite of many peoples. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up. For me. See, while this is not an easy doctrine to understand, because there is a subjective nature to it, and we want to be careful about that. We want balance. Nevertheless, it is clearly taught in Scripture whether we fully comprehend it or not. It's a doctrine that affects us right now, and not merely positional truth that will someday become our experience in the future. In fact, If you look at this passage, that's really the whole point that Paul is making in teaching us about God's power in salvation. He's telling us that God has exerted his power right now in bringing us out of death into life. That's our experience. We're not waiting for that. That's happened. And that this is something that is true of us today because of the salvation we now possess. In fact, this is why Paul adds, notice he adds at the end of verse 5, what's usually a parenthesis, by grace you have been saved. He's not talking about a future aspect of our salvation, for by grace you have already been saved. It's happened. He's referring to salvation that we are experiencing right now. So, now that we know that Paul is talking about our experience of, of being given life, what does it mean that God has made us alive together with Christ, Well, it means that at the moment that we were saved, God joined us together in a union with Christ so that we became one with him. Therefore, note this, his life became our life so that we're no longer spiritually dead. We are alive. Unto God, and that life we now have—that's His life. When we speak of regeneration, it's not something separate. It's not, oh, you got a new nature, but but you also have His life. That is His life. That is His nature. That is regeneration. It is Christ who lives in you because you are joined to Him. He is the vine; you are the branches. But not only did you receive spiritual life as a result of being joined. To Christ. Paul goes on, notice, he says that in being joined to Christ, you were raised up with him. Verse 6, and raised us up with him. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, usually the words, or oftentimes the words raised up, speak of the resurrection from the dead. But that doesn't seem to be how Paul is using those words here. Here he means raised up in the sense of Jesus being raised up in his ascension back to heaven. Now, you'll recall that after being raised from the dead, our Lord spent 40 days with his disciples on earth. Then, after 40 days, he ascended from the earth to be with the Father in heaven. And because we now are joined to Christ. Paul is telling us that we were raised and we ascended with Christ too. Now, obviously this ascension of ours is not physical because we're here. We're not in heaven yet. We're still living in this world. Nonetheless, it is a real ascension. Listen, it is a real ascension in the sense that right now we have the capacity to experience a whole new world, a heavenly world that at one time was closed to us. We have ascended in that sense. James Montgomery Boyce explains it this way. He says, Our being taken up into heaven with Christ, our ascension, means that we have been given a new environment. We are no longer creatures only of this world, bound by what we see and touch and smell and hear and taste. We're now creatures of the greater heavenly realm who now, because of our union with Christ, think and work and speak in spiritual categories end of quote. Practically speaking, ascending with Christ to heaven means that you no longer have to think merely as one who is of this world. You can now think as a citizen of heaven. You see things differently. You now have a completely different orientation, a a heavenly orientation, a heavenly perspective. Granted, we still struggle against not being conformed to this world, but your desire is to set your mind on the things above. And you can set your mind on the things above because you have Christ's life in you. You see, this is what Paul meant when he said in Colossians one thirteen that he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We are in that kingdom right now in that sense. Now, there will be a future literal physical kingdom coming on earth that hasn't come yet but we have been transferred now to a heavenly kingdom we think differently we have heavenly values this is the kingdom we now live in we're no longer under the domain of satan we may struggle with him he tempts us but we are no longer his slaves we are no longer under his domain we no longer walk according to the course of this world led by satan And because you have Christ's life in you, your standards are now heavenly standards, not earthly ones. And you live not primarily for the pleasures of this world, but you live with kingdom values in mind. And the reason for this is because by God's power, he has raised you from the dead, joined you to Christ, and given you a new mind, the mind of Christ, so that you can think heavenly thoughts As one Bible teacher put it, he said, Apart from that union, we would not even be aware of God's kingdom, let alone be a part of it.
2: Isn't it amazing? In the blink of an eye, we are transformed from children of wrath, disobedient and hostile to God, into new creatures, no longer slaves to our sinful passions, into creatures with a desire to set our minds on the things of Christ. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in Clearwater on a Sunday and looking for a place to go, the folks at Lakeside would like to extend an invitation for you to worship with them, and Pastor Steve would love to meet you. Lakeside is at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. You can find a map, phone number, and much more at www.lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org we depend on and are thankful for the many listeners whose faithful gifts finance the production and broadcast of these daily Bible classes. If you'd like to participate in funding verse by verse, we make it very easy at our website. Just click the giving tab near the top of our homepage. I would like to ask, though, that you please do not neglect your home church. We believe that your own church should come first and then other ministries such as this one as the Lord leads. The website again is versebyverseradio.org. Also, while you're there, check out our message archive. We have hundreds of previous programs available for free streaming or download right up to the broadcast you're hearing right now. While I'm telling you about listening opportunities, I'll take a moment to tell you that if you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind, you can receive a free audio Bible for your player by calling 800-838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com, or call 800-838-5924. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. But as we read here in Ephesians 2, we are not only made for another world, we are in some mysterious way already in that other world. Paul said, as we heard today, that God has raised us up with Christ, and as we'll learn on the next program, He has seated us with Him in the heavenly places. I'm Jerry Peterson. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will help us wrap our minds around the mystery contained in Paul's words here in Ephesians. I hope you can join us. You've got to be good enough, work enough, sweat enough. Christianity says you don't have to do any of that. You come to me; it is my life lived through you. Faith Talk,
0: five seventy and nine ten. W T B.